Hi, this is Bill Arnold. Missed a show or need me talking to help you sleep tonight? I have several solutions to that situation. Here are the podcasts from the show. You are the best for listening and supporting Faith Radio. Check heart disease. And a warm welcome to the afternoon show. I'm your host, Bill Arnold. So glad to have Dr. Mark Mosca in studio with me today as we are looking to uh, have a full hour with Ask the Professor. It's always nice when he comes in, and he was uh, in not too long ago, and I begged him to come back. This is Rebecca Maxwell's last hour uh, producing the show, and she's... Uh, that is very sad. That is a sad one for sure. I'm sorry, Mark. Well, we're happy for you. I don't want to ever want to make you sad. You're going to have a tremendous next chapter to your life, but we don't like to see you go. Good thing Christians never say goodbye. They just say, see you later. Exactly. I find that incredibly comforting and reassuring all at once. It is. So you can't make me feel guilty for leaving anymore, Bill. Yeah. Because I'm well, not leaving you. That's true. We got <laughs> for a lot, real. lot of really nice uh, listener comments, which I could start reading. But, I mean... That would eat up a lot of time, That would eat up a lot of time. <laughs> and I, I want you to read them and enjoy them. Okay. Yeah. All right. So I will read Rebecca them. Rebecca is the steady, sane voice <sighs> yeah. in this program. <laughs> it's Bill, all comparative, really. No, well, <laughs> Bill is kind of Kind of oh, thanks so. <laughs> That might be the best Bill Arnold impression I have ever seen. Uh, uh, Thank you for that. Yeah. <laughs> So ask the professor, let me know what your questions are, 877-933-2484. Eight seven seven nine three three two four eight four, and we're going to start today with a question or two from uh, Rebecca. You got a couple? I, I do. Know you do? Well, I, we've been doing some studies on the resurrection power and what it means that the same power that raised Jesus from the grave is in us, and mm-hmm. just understanding what that's like. Because I think everybody wants to know, you know, what's it what's it going to be like? Who will we be in our fullness? And I just wondered about maybe getting a few of your thoughts on that. What does it mean to have resurrection power? in us and through us while acknowledging that we are weak and that God's grace is perfected in our weakness. So to kind Mm -hmm. of combine those two different thoughts from Paul, Mm -hmm. how can we see and operate in a world where we recognize our own fallibility and our own weakness and that God yet works through that and that his power is on display through us? Yeah, it's, it's like a lot of things, I think, Rebecca, in the Bible, that there's tensions that are at play with one another. And you have to respect both sides of that. And so you're hitting it really well that I, I look primarily at that resurrection power is closely attached to the theology of the regeneration. We are recreated in Christ and we have this new resurrected power of life to live as a new person. So I like the way Paul gets into it in Romans uh, 6 where he says that we have been buried with Christ in his death, and now we've been raised in newness of life. And so we're brand new. I heard it this last weekend from a great preacher. We were listening to him on Sunday, and he talked about this regeneration. And he said, regeneration doesn't mean I'm perfect, but it means I'm new. Hmm. And that's really well put. So that on that one side, you've got that. But then at the same side, we still are prone to be drawn to the old and uh and uh, we are uh, weak in our own strength, yet we are vulnerable to temptation. Otherwise, uh, Paul wouldn't have to warn us about uh, not presenting the members of our body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness. If that wasn't possible, why does he say it? 
And so there's a, a daily thing that we go through. We are not perfect. And hopefully we continue to grow. I think the first uh, thing that helps us to remain strong in Christ is to admit our weakness. That it doesn't take much. Anybody starts getting cocky in their walk with the Lord, boy, they're, they're heading for a fall because uh, that uh, uh, we have so many vulnerabilities, and it's very good to keep those in mind. I don't like going around, Bill and I have talked about this a few times, I don't like going around saying, well, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. Mm-hmm. I, I was a sinner, and, and I am now saved by grace. But now with that new resurrected life within me, I don't have to sin. I probably will. I mean, this is the tension John dealt with in First John 2. I love the way he starts that. He says in verse 1, uh, Little children, I write these things to you so that you may not sin. And then verse 2, but if you do sin, we have an advocate before the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, you know. So he's he's seeing that tension there that you're describing. So uh, th- heaven help us if you, if you overemphasize one over the other. That's a great answer. Rebecca, I know you got more. Well, one other little one. And oh, I've, yeah, little. <laughs> uh, let's see about that. One other little one. <laughs> yeah. um, just noticing that there's a qualifier in Genesis 6. Um, Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord, right? Noah, uh, um, Genesis 6, 8 and 9. Mm-hmm. It says, Noah was a just man, perfect in his generations. Noah walked with God. Mm-hmm. And I guess I've been wondering what that qualifier means. He was a just man. He was perfect in his generations is there uh, maybe something specific about why it it specifies in his generations and does that have anything i mean different translations may use a word other than perfect i think as i was looking into it but i just wondered what your thoughts were on that what is it genesis 6 genesis 6 uh 8 and 9 8 and 9 yeah and my translation is saying noah found favor in the eyes of the lord these are the records of the generations of noah he was a righteous man blameless in his time and then it puts in parentheses there, uh, perfect in his uh, generations. So he was a righteous man, perfect in his generations. He walked with God. Uh, I'm not sure exactly what you're asking there, but it seems like that they, he's recognizing that Noah is, is a man of God. There's mm-hmm. other patriarchs there as well. Is he, there, I guess my question to clarify is, is there a difference between being perfect and blameless in God's eyes and then being perfect in your generation? Yeah, I, I'm not sure because I know uh, if, if we're dealing with the New Testament, there's some, uh, some nuances to the idea of being perfect that we have to get into. And I haven't looked at the Old Testament, the Hebrew equiv- equivalent for this, but in the New Testament, the idea of perfection is the idea of being completed or finished or matured. And so if that's what's going on here, then it would make sense that he is blameless in the sense that he is he is completed. He is a righteous man before God in his generation, but uh, he still is susceptible to sin. You know perfectly well when he gets off the ark, he goes and gets drunk, he gets tanked. I don't know if I would have been around all those animals for that long. <laughs> I, I, I think I would have sought something. I hope it wouldn't have been alcohol because I don't like alcohol, but uh, he... he uh, he isn't perfect in that sense. He's still susceptible to sin. Just what you asked with your first question doesn't mean he's arrived and the choir's going to sing and the birds are going <laughs> to cheep and that that's it, you know, right. as far as struggling with sin. It's not going to be that way. So I don't know if I'm making any sense with that one at all. No, I like it. So, mm-hmm. Nice job once again. All right, here's a question from a listener. Uh, can you help me reconcile the church being the bride of Christ and also the body of Christ? 
as bride and body. Yeah, uh-huh. can you help me reconcile the church being the bride of Christ and also the body of Christ? I don't know if that's that uh, difficult. I think you can overcomplicate it if you're careful. These are images that are used to, to describe our relationship to Jesus as part of the body of Christ or the bride of Christ. These are t- two metaphors. You can get into the same kind of thing when you see Jesus saying that he is the good shepherd in John 10, but then he says, I am the door to the sheep in John 10. And so how do you reconcile that? Well, he's using two different metaphors there to make a point. And so when he talks about being the uh, the church being the body of Christ, I like going to... Uh, of Ephesians chapter 5 and chapter 6 when uh, Paul's teaching about husbands and wives and how they relate to one another and he makes an analogy with Christ that uh, as uh, Christ loves the church and lays his life down for the church nourishes the church that's all implicit in this idea of the body he is the head of the body of Christ and we are the members of that body and so as the head he directs it he leads it he is an authority over the body he directs the body to what it does so that's the the imagery there coming out of body of Christ. Bride of Christ, I don't think is real complicated. That's uh, the love relationship between Christ mm-hmm. and his people, that he loves us and he has bonded to us. He's uh, committed himself to us, analogous to what a woman and a man say with their marriage vows. They are promising to love each other and to uh, give themselves to each other. So uh, we could get into many more metaphors besides these two that are describing the church's relationship to Christ Mm -hmm. because they overlap a little bit because they're both seeming to talk about a body or a a person then I can see how it it could be confusing Mm -hmm. uh, just remember that when you look at the analogies or the metaphors or even the parables in the Bible first of all study what the analogy is and what it means the head of the body and then transfer it over to what Jesus is trying to communicate about his relationship then to the church. Mm -hmm. Mark, how do you understand this verse? This comes out of Romans chapter 12, verse 18. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Yeah. What Uh, what, what do you make of that? I I think it's more more straightforward than we like to admit. Okay. We like like to straightforward. Well, we like to complicate things when we don't like what's going on. Uh, remember the lawyer that came to Jesus and uh, said, you know, uh, what's the greatest commandment? And he said, what does the law say? And the guy rattled off the love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and love your neighbor or yourself. And Jesus says, well, go and do that. Mm-hmm. And the guy wanting to justify himself, well, he says, well, who is my neighbor? He likes to complicate it. So sometimes we like to complicate things. But when it says live at peace with one another, that means that as far as it's possible with us, we... We reconcile with people, but you have to acknowledge that it takes two to reconcile. Yeah, good good reminder. And uh, you can do what you can do, but if the person is stubborn and uh, bitter or hurt, uh, it, it may take a while and it may never come with uh, with reconciliation. But I like what Paul's saying there, though. Uh, don't always be pointing at the other person. We like to do that when there's conflict. You talk mm-hmm. to a person, they're not getting wrong with their brother, and you're, well, the brother's doing this, brother's doing that. And then you talk to the brother, and it's, well, my sister's doing this and doing that. And it's like, well, what are you doing, and how can you restore this relationship? So Paul's saying, as it, as it depends on you, you do your part. And I like that. If it, but I think he's being realistic too, Bill, to say that you haven't sinned if you don't reconcile. <laughs> if you've tried 
And if you've exhausted just about all the avenues that you have to try to reconcile, then you can be at peace with yourself and at peace with God. You have done what you could to try to reconcile, and sometimes it just isn't possible. Mm -hmm. But that doesn't mean you're not going to live with a lot of torment, too. I mean... Yeah, I mean, we can feel guilty about a whole lot of stuff, you know, but I think that is a a false kind of a guilt. If you have taken those steps and you really have exhausted all the means that you can to try to reconcile with the person. Mm -hmm. Uh, So uh, I I know that the idea today of shame is really looked down on, and I just see shame as an equivalent for guilt feelings. And so you will have guilt feelings about things, and you'll be ashamed of yourself. But you have to also <laughs> line that up with whether you really are guilty. And in this case, if you've done all you can to reconcile with the person, you're really not guilty anymore. You have taken the steps to reconcile. So there still might be residual feelings of being ashamed, but that's where we have to recognize the truth. We've done what we could. Yeah, and Dr. Mark Muska is my guest. Ask the professor is our time together. So let me know what your questions are. I can't wait to ask your question on your behalf. I'll keep you anonymous unless you don't care. 877-933-2484. Again, 877-933-2484. Be right back. We're back with Dr. Mark Muska. Ask the professor, 877-933-2484. Mark, I love Colossians 2.8. One of my, uh, I love that verse. See to it that no one takes you captive uh, by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. Mm -hmm. Uh, What would, what would, what could be taking the Colossians captive? When, well, I when think Paul we, mentions philosophy, what, what yeah, does that mean? I think he's talking about things that he develops a little bit later in the chapter here. And uh, he's dealing with uh, a church that is uh, being seduced by philosophical ideas, but then also by the idea that uh, that knowledge about God is what's key and having these secret, uh, uh, th- secret uh, things that are known, that's going to make you... Uh, uh, closer to God. Uh, A lot of scholars, and I agree with them, they see that Paul is writing Colossians. It's kind of a forerunner to a heresy that got into the church in the next couple centuries. It's called Gnosticism. It starts with a G. It's uh, based on the word gnosko, which means to know something. And these Gnostics they uh, they had several traits to them, but one of them was is that they really exalted the knowledge of God and these secret elemental things of the world as getting close to God. And Paul just reigns on that parade in Colossians. It must have been some forerunner to this line of thinking that already was infecting the church. So uh, he's later on in the chapter, he talks about uh, verse 16, let n- no one act as your judge in regard to food or drink in respect to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. And then this is the elemental part of it. Things which are a mere shadow at what is to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Verse 18, let, let no one keep defrauding you of your prize by delighting in self-abasement and the worship of angels, taking his stand on visions he has seen, inflated without cause, 
by the fleshly mind. And so, and then the one after that that I like so much, verse 20, if you've died with Christ to the elementary principles of the world, so the same kind of language being used mm-hmm. there, why, as if you are living in the world, do you subject yourself to decrees such as do not handle, do not taste, do not touch? And then look what he says about this, which all refer to things destined to perish with use in accordance with the commandments and teachings of men. These are matters which have, to be sure, the appearance of wisdom in self-made religion and self-abasement and severe treatment of the body. But look at his final word there. But he says, but are of no value against fleshly indulgence. They really don't benefit you at all, but boy, do you look spiritual if you're doing these secret things and mm-hmm. these these real rigid kinds of esoteric lifestyle. Uh, it uh, it's it's uh, it's poison. It kills us. And when you think about the human traditions, I mean, just because an idea is historical, it doesn't really make it true or biblical, right? Right. You know? Right. And we have to come back to this, especially with practices in the church. I wish the church would, you know, rethink a lot of our traditions every couple decades or so, because usually what traditions start, they start with really good motives. People, people are trying to worship the Lord or serve him in new and fresh ways, and so they start to do certain things. So they'll have certain prayers in their worship gatherings, or they'll have certain activities that they do. But then when others come into that, they didn't start with that with that vitality that the tradition was started with, and they just adopt the practice, and soon it loses its meaning and its power. It just becomes a ritual. And at that point, it's time to step back and reevaluate that. Should we continue to do this? Uh, I'm a big believer in bringing freshness and newness and vitality into the life of the church so we don't get into this trap of uh, ritualism, externalism, formalism in mm-hmm. the church. It's just poison because it looks so spiritual, and it really isn't. Yeah. Linda, who's pretty smart from Woodbury, I mean, because mm-hmm. um, she said, just to chime in regarding Noah, he lived in such an incredibly wicked generation that God killed every earthly living thing except those in the ark. We must emphasize grace. Noah did nothing to deserve God's favor, and God allowed him to walk with him and be found righteous. Yep. See Hebrews 11. He was a man of faith. His faith was a gift from God. Yep. Amen to that. Yeah. It's so easy to sit here and cherry pick on him and, you know, and be critical, but boy, what he faced is uh, a whole different story. I wish we did that for more people that lived in all generations. We can get real critical of people that lived back in the uh, 21st or 20th century or the people that lived 300 years ago. And we have no idea of the setting of what they faced and how they they uh, uh, took things on. It's real easy to sit in our armchairs and be critics. Mm-hmm. Got to be careful about that. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mark, First John chapter 3. Yeah. Um, we're told that we must not go on sinning if we are in Christ. Yeah, I think we talked about this one last time, didn't we? Yeah, but I wanted to revisit it. Yeah, okay. Um, because it's, I think it's worth talking about again because I've been okay. thinking about it ever since. Uh-oh. When and you start thinking, <clears throat> good things happen. Yeah. That's really that's good. What, <clears throat> that's what my mm-hmm. high school coach said. Mm-hmm. Arnold, every time you think the other team scores. Oh, my. So. I don't know if I'm going to agree with that, but yeah, <laughs> the, the, this is this is good. So, so it... it it appears that we're expected to be sinless once we receive Jesus. Yeah, that's the standard. That's the standard, right. But if we are thinking about, uh, if we understand what our sin is, wouldn't the Holy Spirit be responsible for bringing to our mind what it is that we're doing? Sure. 
that we're in violation of? And he does that just fine. Okay. We, we don't have to worry about the Holy Spirit. It's part of his job description. John 16, uh, verses 8 and 9, where Jesus says, When the Helper, the Spirit, comes, he will convict the world con- considering sin and righteousness and judgment. And so it's right there on his uh, resume that he is to be connected with our conscience and helping us to understand when we have done something wrong. The thing we have to remember, though, Bill, is uh, I think I can make a point and even prove it that uh, the Spirit's conviction, though, it is not comprehensive. It is selective in our lives. He does not convict us about everything that we may do that doesn't please God. Every action, every thought, every word. I don't know about you. I'd be so depressed. I'd just lay in bed all day. And then he'd convict me about that. You know, get your bones out of bed. Uh, the, The Spirit's conviction is selective. And I think I can prove it. If people think about this for a minute, if you've been a Christian for any amount of time at all, can you think of things that God is, God's Spirit is convicting you about now that's only been about the last few months that he started to convict you about this? I'll use an illustration, that you got a crappy attitude about your mom. You know, you're, you're in, ungrateful for the way she raised you, and you like to criticize her. You've been ungrateful about her. And the Holy Spirit's tapping you on the head now about that, saying, you know, uh, let's, let's start working on this attitude with your mom. Isn't it time to let go of some of this stuff and start loving her the way she needs to be loved? She's your mom. And so that's great. That's been going on for the last couple of months. But you look back in your life, you've had a crappy attitude about your mom for the last 15 years Mm -hmm. since you've been an adult. And so spirit wasn't convicting you during that time. And I think that's part of the wisdom of God, that he knows when to get things on the agenda, so to speak, that we need to work on. And he's not going to overload us. And so I think there's all kinds of things we do, Bill, constantly, every day that falls short of the perfection of Mm -hmm. Christ and living a perfectly good life. It is, uh, I think it's uh, insanity to think that somehow, because we aren't convicted of any kind of wrongdoing in a day, that somehow we've lived sinless today. Oh, baby, you know, uh, be careful about that, that uh, the, the, the door might be opened and you might see a whole lot of other things that a need to be worked on. I like using the analogy, Bill, of a personal trainer at a gym. Mm-hmm. God's got a personal fitness program for each one of us, and the Holy Spirit is our personal trainer, and it's not the same for everybody. For some guy, it is talking about his attitude about his mom. For another one, it's the the foul language that the guy's using, mm-hmm. and God starts to convict him about it. But it's no size, one size fits all. God's got an individual uh, growth program for each one of us, and so Our responsibility is to be responsive when the Spirit convicts us. Mm -hmm. Dr. Mark Mosk is my guest. Ask the professor. Let me know what your questions are. 877-933-2484. And if you're more comfortable with email, you can email me, bill at myfaithradio.com. That's bill at myfaithradio.com. Of course, you can remain anonymous if you like, and I'll say your name if you like as well. 877-933-2484.
Wow, 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 wow. That is a cool show thing. Wow. I added that little bumper in. It's nice, isn't it? It is. Yeah. Mark, let's talk about uh, habitual sin. A lot of people (laughs) suffer from that. We don't talk about it enough. No. But it continues to persist with many Christians, and it erodes their sense of of who they are. and, and, And tell me about that. Yeah, I mean, this is something that nobody really wants to talk about, is those areas of life. And you know what, Bill? It's usually a handful or less. It's not a lot of stuff, but there's like two or three things that just nag at people. Mm-hmm. And they get tempted, and if you look at the scorecard on their temptation, they resist the temptation three times, and they give in 738 times to the temptation. Right. And it just discourages them. They start to doubt themselves and whether they're even Christians sometimes or whether they're walking with the Lord at all, and there's just tremendous uh, pressure that we put on ourselves. And the worst part about this, people who are the most serious about the Lord and desiring to please Him with their lives, they're the most susceptible to this because it's right in front of them all the time. And so uh, this is something we got to really, really be careful about On the one hand, we repent and we fight that sin through the power that God's Spirit gives us. The best analogy I've ever heard for repentance, and I've used it on this program before, is the idea that when we repent, we declare war on sin. I like that. We don't want it in our lives. We we reject it. We don't make excuses for it. We don't blame others. We don't rationalize it. We reject it. Call it what it is. This is wrong, Lord. It'll never be right. It'll always be wrong, and I want it out of my life so that we declare war on sin. But if you look at the history of warfare in human history, I think the Gulf War in the early 90s was the only one where the U.S. won all the battles. But typically in war, like World War II, the United States declared war on Japan and got clobbered for a long time, for years, in the battles that were fought. But they kept fighting. That kept the repentance alive. If they would have surrendered, that would have negated the repentance. They wouldn't have been fighting anymore. And so when we fight those areas of constant temptation, for some people, it's just a foul mouth. And they uh, maybe they've had a, a B.C. life before they put their faith in the gospel where this was part of their lives, and it is just hard for them to get past it. It's impulsive. They blurt it out, and then they slap their mouth. You know, why am I talking like that? Okay, you lost that battle, but keep on the battle. Don't surrender to it. Continue to fight it with the power that God supplies you. And hopefully you will see progress in your life. But honestly, Bill, I think that maybe in the wisdom of God and you theologians out there, you can reprimand me for this if you want to. I'm not sure if I'm right, but I suspect that God may even leave some of those areas in our lives to keep us dependent on the Lord because otherwise we'd get too cocky and think that we've got it all together with the Lord and we're walking with God and we're just not doing anything anymore. Well, all it takes is one or two of those habitual temptations to let the air out of the balloon in a hurry Mm -hmm. about that and how much we need the Lord. And if he doesn't sustain us, I love what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 12 about his thorn in the flesh. And he says, therefore, I will boast not in my, I will boast in my weaknesses because in my weaknesses, God is strong and his power is perfected in me. 
that really is uh, something to rejoice over, even though we just have that irritation and that frustration. You know what frustration is, right? That's when a Minnesotan gets angry. (laughs) They just don't want to admit it. Mm -hmm. They get frustrated, and they want it out of their lives. They're angry about it. They're angry with themselves. Continue to take it to God. Continue to fight the battle. Never surrender to it and just give up and continue. It might persist for a long time before you see any kind of progress in your life. And then also put it in context. You can probably see a dozen other areas of your life where God's really at work in your life and you are becoming more like Christ. You're being more patient with your mom if that's the issue or whatever it is, but you still are struggling with that foul mouth. So just don't look at that. It's easy to just zero in on that and get all guilty rather than saying, okay, resolution. I want those things out of my life. But thank you, Lord. I'm seeing you at work in these other parts of my life. That helps to give it context so we just don't get so myopic and dialed down on those one or two areas that we struggle with. I love those strong words. I I love you came out swinging on that question, Mark. I really appreciate that because when you, you go to diagnose your own heart, don't you, you usually ask yourself, what is, what is causing me to feel such despair? Yeah. And isn't it probably when you ask that question, habitual sin, that, that you're be. not going to war against? It could be, yeah. That uh, uh, there's all kinds of possibilities, Bill. Honestly, when it comes to examining my own heart, I do that in a very limited kind of way because that's God's affair. He's the one that works in my heart. He will convict me of the things I need to know. Uh, two verses stuck out for me when I was about two years old as a Christian, back 40 years ago, Bill, that just hit it for me. It's in 1 John 3, and I love what John says here. Uh, I'm going to start in verse 18, but what I'm really wanting to get to is verses uh, 20 and 21. He says, Little children, let us not love with word or with tongue, but indeed in truth. We will know by this that we are of the truth and will assure our heart before him. In whatever our heart condemns us, for God is greater than our heart and knows all things. Mm. You know how powerful that is? That is so strong. Those two things. God is greater than my heart. So I might not even understand what I'm feeling and thinking, but he does. Mm -hmm. He's greater than my heart and he knows all things. So if my heart is condemning me, if God is working through my heart, then I need to be responsive to that. But I'm not going to go looking for it. I'm going to trust God to bring those things to bear in my life. I don't Mm. know if that's making sense. Makes a ton of sense. I, I, I feel strongly about it, Bill, because I'm in the same basket with the rest of you chicks, you know, the, (laughs) This is a human thing. Nobody likes to admit it, but everybody's got, I'm convinced, everybody's got a couple of those areas where they just struggle. Mm -hmm. You don't want to talk to anybody else about it because it's too embarrassing. You don't even want to talk to God about it because you're too embarrassed to talk to him. And so we just get closed in if we're not careful. Declare war yeah. on but, that sin but and, Mark, and fight. Yeah, you're, you're, when you commit the sin, you're, you're worshiping um, something more than Jesus, and right. you're willing, and you've decided to disobey him, right? Yep. yep. And, and when you think about that, that's really awful. It is. Talk about an inner conflict within us. Yeah, because you've got some false savior that you're racing to, yeah. and, and you're doing that in place of the, the real savior. Maybe. I mean, I think that there's okay. all kinds of idolatry <laughs> that takes there place, for a uh, but that there's all kinds of idolatry that takes place as well. And the lusts of the heart and the appetites. So someone really struggles with overeating and they, you know, they, they try to 
uh, go through methods and they do all these diet programs and everything like that and they still struggle. Why? It's not so much a rational thing. There's appetites involved with that. There's urges that they have. And sometimes uh, that is beyond their ability to see uh, worked out of their lives. And they pray and they ask God to give them the self-discipline they need to, to push away from the table and they still struggle like crazy and they lose a lot of those battles. Don't stop fighting. Continue to take it to God. And I can't emphasize it enough, too. You're not going to fight it in your own power. Paul said it in 2 Corinthians 12. The power of God is perfected in weakness. You submit this to the Holy Spirit. You depend on him to give you the power to resist that temptation. And then you pray like crazy that you will be victorious next time you're tempted in that area. Mm -hmm. Mark, how would you explain the difference between uh, being moral there's plenty of nice moral people out there. And being a Christian, how would you explain the difference to someone who thinks that if I'm just good enough, I'll, I'll be acceptable to God? Yeah, boy, uh, that is, uh, we have a lot of that in uh, Christianity, I think, always has that we substitute some kind of result mm-hmm. of being born again and a new creature in Christ and what comes with that is almost all the time a life that changes for the good morally. But then we get trapped by thinking that, well, that's what it's all about then is the moral life. And we don't realize that that without the dependence on Christ for the forgiveness of sins, that is the deadliest poison out there because the road to hell is paved with good intentions. The people who are doing the good things for their own sakes, they're substituting that for the realization that you're not that good and that, in fact, all of us are corrupted. Uh, This pastor I was telling you about, he's been going through Romans chapters 2 and 3 the last couple of weeks, and boy, he's been knocking it out of the park to say that you're not as good as you think you are. In fact, you're not at all as good as you think you are. So someone who commits themselves to a moral lifestyle without the heart of that being forgiven and reconciled to God, it's one of the deadliest poisons out there, Bill. Mm-hmm. <coughs> so, Mark, do you do you ever feel, because uh, I, I hear this from listeners, that they sometimes just feel insecure in their relationship with God. Yeah. Well, what might that be telling you? Uh, you about how they're viewing their relationship with God? Well, it's got all kinds of possibilities when people are insecure. And uh, I think we live in a world and a day today where people are so introspective anyway. Um, I I think this generation that's coming up now, whatever you want to call it, Generation Z or or Q or whatever it is, (laughs) that uh, one of the traits that they have to fight is that there's such a self-absorption in the generation and looking inward at themselves and analyzing themselves all the time. And that uh, that is really uh, a, a deadly poison as well. We we get so introspective with this. So uh, where were you going with this? Again, Bill, remind me of what you, uh, what you were asking. Just get a lot of uh, listeners that will feel, you know, insecure about their, right. their, their relationship with God. And, and I, I always, my, my heart breaks for them because I want them to feel the, the lovely security of being uh, in, you know, in God's yeah. hands and nothing can snatch them away. Right. You look to yourself and you're not going to find much security no, there. No, that's, that's a good point. But you look to Christ and who we are in Christ, that builds that 
what I like to describe as our biblical self-image or our biblical self-confidence. And you want a good place to start, you listeners, if some of you struggle with who you are in Christ and to accept that of what Christ has made you and what God has made you in Christ, I strongly recommend to you that you read Ephesians chapter 1 and read it slowly. Because starting in verse 3 of Ephesians 1, Paul says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. We have been blessed in Christ because we've been joined to Christ, very similar to what happens when a man and a woman join in marriage. We have been legally bonded to Christ. We belong to him. He is our master. And when that comes, we have been blessed with every blessing in the heavenly places. And then Paul has a great time itemizing about two dozen of them in the next several verses. He talks about how through the Father, we've been predestined. We have been elected to salvation. Through Christ, we have been redeemed, forgiven of our sins. The riches of grace have been lavished upon us. That is who we are in Christ as Christians. I would recommend to people, Bill, they spend a whole week on one verse and just meditate on it and memorize it and look at what it tells you about who you are in Christ. Because then the key to this whole thing, Paul goes through this whole thing through verses 3 through uh, uh, 14, and you want to know something that's really wacky about that? That whole section of Ephesians 1 verses 3 through 14 in the original language, it's one sentence. Mm. It's a run-on sentence. So Paul just builds this thing. It's just like a wave that builds higher and higher with everything he says about who we are in Christ. But then (laughs) look at what he says, starting in verse 15. He's just laid out all these blessings that we receive when we're identified with Christ. That is our identity, not what your rat neighbor is calling your names about, (laughs) not about what your kid is trying to make you doubt yourself and your, your, uh, uh, your standing before God. This is who you are. Listen to what Paul says. Verse 15, Ephesians 1, For this reason I too, having heard of the faith of the Lord Jesus, which exists among you and your love for all the saints, do not cease to give thanks for you while making mention of you in my prayers. So he's praying for him, and you know what he prays for him? Verse 17, That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. Do you hear those three knowing words? Wisdom, revelation, knowledge. He wants them to see something. Mm-hmm. And what does he want them to see? He says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened or opened so that you will know. And then he lists three things. He says that you will know, number one, what is the hope of his calling? Number two, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? And number three, and what is the surpassing greatness of the power toward his power, toward us who believe? That's what Paul prays. I hope they get it, Lord, that they see it. This is who they are in Christ, but so many people don't see it, and they live like spiritual paupers because they're listening to what everybody else around them is telling them who they are. But if you zero in on that, Lord, open my eyes, please, to these three things. The hope of my calling, the riches of the glory of my inheritance in the saints, and or his inheritance in me, and what the surpassing greatness of your power toward me, who, uh, who believes, is. You will see a revolution, a revolution in your life. Oh. I got a hold of this from a pastor out in New Jersey back when I was a new Christian back in 1976 and 77, and it changed my life because I no longer had to look to other people to tell me who I was and give my life worth and dignity. 
This is what gives the Christian's life worth and dignity, mm-hmm. knowing who you are in Christ. And please, Lord, open their eyes to it. Help them to see it so that they will live in a different kind of way. Yeah, and this is called Mark Muska on short on short notice. This is like this, uh, we call sermon like number today. <laughs> this is like sermon number seven today. This is Mark on fire. I, I know. No I kidding. Gave it to my class this morning, I I give them three sermonettes in the first ten minutes of class. Okay, they were all just leaning back in oh, their yeah. chair, just yeah. getting blasted. But I couldn't help myself. All right, we'll take a little break. We come back more with Dr. Mark Muska. If you have a question, let me know. Eight seven seven nine three three two four eight four. Eight seven seven nine three three two four eight four. You can also, if you've got a minute or two, send Rebecca uh, a well wish. This is her last. I know, I know, her last broadcast with us as my producer here at Faith Radio. And boy, am I going to miss her. Dr. Mark Muska got a nice comment from a listener. In thinking about the Bible as the living word, I was hearing my pastor's sermon talking about walking in his steps. The Spirit spoke to me that yielding to the Spirit lets Christ live his life in me in obedience to the word, which makes it living. Sharp, active, living, like a two-edged sword, and it gets right down to the deepest part. Hmm. Where we need it the most. Yeah. It's powerful. Mm Mm-hmm. So, I got to shift to Rebecca because this is her. No, 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 don't, don't freak out. <laughs> what? <laughs> My eyebrows went up two inches. I know. I need? could tell. I, I know. She has control of your mic. Just so you know how you affect yes. people. Oh. A listener named Donald said, "When you recently had Rebecca sing a verse of Amazing Grace, it brought me to tears. Oh. How about an Amazing Grace encore today?" So I'm, just, I'm planting be. that seed. I'm not okay. saying that you have to do it or should do it. It's not an expectation. No, it's not. But if you don't, I'll be heartbroken. <laughs> Thanks for that. I'm just saying you're going to want to boot up another. Emotional manipulation I know, I'm good at that, aren't I? He is. Yeah. Yeah. That's just wrong. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. And uh, love, love, love Dr. Mark's message of love and hope for all. So nice job there, Mark. Hey. And Rebecca, could you consider an acapella CD of songs we love? There you go. (laughs) You give me the songs and I'll see what I can do. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And send a check. (laughs) Don't make me sing. (laughs) I have a feeling you're going to... Maybe, maybe sing again. I don't know. It's up to you. We've got so many questions, though, so I hate to take time away from Mark. That's true. It's the struggle. Yeah. How would you uh, um, explain to an unchurched person just justification by faith? Uh, I, my favorite example that puts the cookies down on a lower shelf yeah. for people so that they can understand it, it's kind of like a bank account that when God justifies us, he takes us from our predicament in sin, which specifically means that we are guilty of sin, we are under God's condemnation, and we're awaiting execution. It's just like we're sitting on death row awaiting execution. And when God justifies us, he does two things. And I like using a bank uh, bank illustration for this, that the first thing he does when he justifies us, he forgives us that debt of sin. And so it's like having a bank account where you're 55 gazillion in the hole, and you could never pay it back. When God justifies, he first brings that balance to zero. So you no longer have that debt. 
But then he goes further and he gives you or credits to your account the righteousness of Christ. How can you do that? Because you're joined with Christ. Remember, we talked about that earlier, being united with Christ. Mm -hmm. So now to be justified means that in God's eyes, he sees you united with Christ and you are the righteousness of Christ. You are no longer that prisoner awaiting execution. The before and after helps, mm-hmm. I think, to make, I love that, that. to make that clear. Mm-hmm. What about when you're tempted to fear men and seek their approval? That happens all the time. <laughs> I mean, welcome to life. That's exactly. one of the constant things that dog us. I think especially those who are Bible-believing Christians, it's one of our major temptations. We want to be liked. Totally. We want to be accept- accepted. I host an afternoon radio show. Yeah. I want to be liked. Sure you do. And so we just have to be able to see that and to be able to aim higher than that, than mm-hmm. to just be liked or be approved by people. I just go back to Jesus in John chapters 15 and 16 when he just lays it to the disciples and he says, hey, you know what? If they've hated me, they're going to hate you, pal. If they've persecuted me, they're going to persecute you. And so get used to it, Charles. It's just (laughs) going to happen if you're a Christian. You're not going to be liked by everybody out there. But at least follow Peter's advice in 1 Peter and make sure that they're not liking you when you're doing the right thing and not doing the wrong thing. So if people criticize you for doing the wrong thing, well, you deserve to be criticized. But if you're doing the right thing and they criticize you, then you're blessed, Peter says. Mm-hmm. That's being blessed by God. Mm-hmm. I was thinking about that in the last hour when we were talking about Romans 12, and mm-hmm. it says live honorably in the sight of all, and then as much as it's possible, live at peace with all men. Yep. And it just seems like no matter what, it you'll find someone that will criticize you. And so holding yep. up that standard, of it, it is a little difficult that mm-hmm. living by God's standard doesn't mean everyone will like you, even as much as you try. No. And it's hard to take. I mean, nobody likes to have those those statements on social media uh, directed at you that are poison. But yet, hopefully, we can rise above that and step back from it and realize uh, my, my security in Christ is not dependent on what this Yahoo is saying about me mm-hmm. on social media. Mark, would you, uh, would you pray our, for our sister who's I will. heading into her new uh, venture? Yeah, I will. How long do I got? Oh, not yeah, that far. Yeah, long. Four minutes. Yeah, okay. Yeah, to join us, would you? Those of you who are listening to, we're going to miss Rebecca. We're just so excited for you, Rebecca, because a new chapter in life. It's going to be fantastic. But thank still, you. it's hard to see you go. And so let's just pray. We thank you, God, that we can come to you all the time when we're happy and when we're sad. And we're a little bit of both here right now. Thinking about Rebecca, we pray that you'd bless her life and lead her into just the most fantastic things in life now as she and her husband are in Iowa, that everything would come together and they'd have confidence in the decisions they make and the things that they do with their lives and that they, above all, glorify you with their lives. Uh, Just uh, pour out your presence in a very real and tangible way for them in these times of uncertainty that they're going to face with the move and the new location and meeting people. Uh, Give them a sense of tranquility in the midst of that, that There's all kinds of really great brothers and sisters that are ready to welcome them into the community and into the church body. So we thank you for her life. We're just excited to hear the reports of what's going on from her. And uh, we commit her and her husband or family into your hands. Thank you, Lord, that we can pray this with confidence. Christ's name we pray. Amen. 
And Rebecca, thank you for making me uh, way better on radio than I ever would have been without you. No, you're too humble, Bill. No, it's true. Thank you. It's true. You're, you're awesome. And you have helped me in huge ways, so thank you very much. Well, it's always been my goal when I produce a show just to make it, make the host shine and, and just you, make the goal You have helped me a lot. True, yeah. So. so I, not to put you on the spot, but I know Donald's going to be really happy. <laughs> and uh, maybe you've got a second verse for us or something to close us out with. We'd oh, love to hear your voice um, one more time. Okay. Well, one of my favorites, uh, well, I'll just, I'll just do it instead okay. of talking about it. <laughs> All right. How deep the Father's love for us, how blessed beyond all measure, that he should bring his only son to make a wretch his treasure. Why should I gain from his reward? I cannot give an answer. But this I know with all my heart, his wounds have paid my ransom. Amen. Beautiful. That's our show for the day. And I'll look forward to being with you tomorrow. And I am so grateful that Rebecca decided to sing for us tonight. (laughs) You're welcome, One last time. She is going to continue to help uh, with booking the show for a little while, and then also she'll be joining me on the Monday afternoon mix with Miles Arnold and Maxwell. Uh, so, God willing, we're still going to hear her. She's not gone for good, but uh, just for uh, for now. Have a great night, everyone. I'll see you tomorrow. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.